Hey everyone, Dave and Jeff. It is February 20th, 2020. We have a special guest in the garage. Yeah, we sure do, Dave, and it is our pleasure. One of our favorite guys is back. Hello, Brett Boone. Good evening. (laughs) Great to see you. It's awesome. I love coming here. Uh, It's great to have you. And I was saying to Dave, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I was flying home from Denver, get a text from you, go, hey man, I'm going to see you Thursday. And I was fired up. And then today... I'm watching ESPN. They're interviewing Tyson Fury, talking about the fight coming up this Saturday with Deontay Wilder. They tried to make it a racial angle. He said, it's not a racial angle. He said, Deontay Wilder wants to knock me out. I want to knock him out. But at the end of the night, we respect each other as men. And I listened to that, and I thought about a baseball perspective. And I'm thinking about the Houston Astros. And I'm thinking about what they've done, and I'm thinking about the loss of respect that they have for their peers. Forget about the trash can, forget about world championship, everything else, Brett. You played this game, your dad played it, your grandfather played it, your brother played it, your son's playing it now. At the end of the day, the loss of respect of your peers that these guys are going through, how damaging is that going to be? Well, time's going to tell. Um you know, I've been looking at this. I've been getting a lot of questions to me. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? First of all, I think what, what nobody's really doing is stepping back. We're all playing. We're all, you know, we have this angle. We have these strong opinions. We, we have this is what should happen. That, that's what should happen. You, you hear fans. You have other players. And I'm trying to think of it as a player, as a fan, coming from all these different perspectives. And what I've come to the conclusion is, is I don't have the real hard facts. I need the facts. Uh, Conspiracy theory. Altuve's got this under his uniform. He's got an earpiece in. He's got this. Well, that sounds great. And if that happens, oh, there should be a big time punishment. But I don't have any of these facts. I know something was going on because Mm -hmm. managers don't just resign to resign. So we know there's something going on. But until I know exactly what was going on and they were the ones doing it and it's not what this is something that I was curious about and came up and not too many people are talking about it. I saw a quote from uh, Beltron, Mm -hmm. manager that that got let go by the Mets. And whether this is factual or not, it was in quotes and it said when he came to Houston Astros in 2017, he said, you guys are really behind on the sign-stealing technology. Mm. He said something to that effect. If that is true, that's that's a big tell right there. What's that tell you? This is Beltron. Hell of a career. I think a 19-year vet. Yeah, but most mm-hmm. people thought he was he's going a, in the Hall of Fame. He's been a lot of places, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It ain't just in Houston. Yes. Houston was the last, but then turned into the poster child for what is going on in the game. I know a lot of things about this game. But I do, I do know one thing now as an ex-player. I've got a lot of experience as a kid growing up around these clubhouses. I've got my major league career. So I've got a lot of experience. But I, I know that the cur- to, to be up to date and to be uh, completely in the know of everything, there's only one way to do that. That's to be a current player in that clubhouse. Mm-hmm. You have your hand on the pulse of what's going on. And what I found as a player, even though I'm retired 12 years, if something's going on and you know about it, it's not an isolated situation. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of players and there's a lot of glass house stuff going on right now in the game. And I hate to see that. I, I like to take the high road until I have all the facts. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't like to call somebody out unless I know 100% I have facts to back that up. Not to just say, if you did this, you're going to do that. There's a lot of that going on right now. And I think we got to get to the bottom of it. I think baseball has handled it terribly. I yes. think the Houston Astros handled it as bad as you could handle it. Mm-hmm. From the owner uh, to Bregman to Altuve to how they handled it. I think in this situation, and I try to put myself in every scenario and think, if I got caught up in a scandal like this and my teammates got caught up, I got to go to that podium. I don't have a, a written speech. Right. I don't have notes. I throw my hands up in the air and I throw, show some remorse. To a player like me sitting there, now I'm a fan like we all are, I want to see some remorse on the face. Yes. Because I know what it's like to be in that clubhouse and that grind 162 games a year. But when you come to me reading off cue cards, it doesn't show me too no. much remorse. And those and those fans out there, mm-hmm. as much as, you know, sometimes it's it, they have a lot of very layman opinions. Fact is, they're fans. And it's yeah. their game. It's the reason we have this game and we're able to earn the living we do. Is A big reason of that is those fans, and they have the right to have an opinion. So when you step to that podium, you throw your hands up and you just throw, <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. But yeah. show me that you're really sorry and you're not reading off these cue cards. So I think it's it, it's about tenfold. You know, we've gotten into one. It's uh, handled very bad. I, I think there was an angle. You know, I think of Tony Clark, who's the head of the union right now. When I was there, it was it was Donald Fear, who was a brilliant man. Tony Clark is, is a, you know, I played against Tony. He's a really good player. And as far as I know, he's a wonderful person. San Diego guy. Uh, and Tony's job in the union's job, the, the Major League Baseball union, it's the most powerful union in the world. Yep. And has been for a mm-hmm. long time. Uh, and and I, I throw out the world. I don't know. But probably the strongest That's union always what in the United States. Say. But it could be the world. And there's a reason for that. These guys protect their players at all costs. And I think that was Tony's intentions going out, was I got to protect my players, get them an- anonymity if we're going yes. to go into this. I think Manfred comes in, they, they strike a deal, and it didn't go how they thought it was going to mm-hmm. go. I think Manfred's done a really poor job of handling mm-hmm. it. The PR is an absolute nightmare. These Houston Astros, as it stands, unless something big happens and they rectify this with, with a real press conference – I think it's going to be a long year for him. And the only thing that's going to change all this is to go out and kick butt in 2020 and win. Winning usually takes care of a lot of things. But this is a cloud hanging over baseball right now. And um, I'm not sure exactly what the perfect answer is for it. It might get to a point where where there's so much outrage and and so much the fans are going to demand. We want to know what really happened. Mm-hmm. And it might be a full disclosure thing. Yeah. If that comes out, now we're going to have the facts. And we're going to go, oh, want. he did this. Yes. Okay, well, this. Uh, oh, he didn't do that. He did that. Okay, how many other teams are doing it? What you know? What what is the? It's just really tough for me. I I grew up in an age where we had flip phones. We yeah. didn't think about an earpiece. We didn't <laughs> yeah. think about beepers. I never thought about getting video. I'll tell you what. From the human element, I was trying to get every sign I could. If my first base coach get a sign, my third base coach. If I'm taking a lead off first base, I can peek in, and the catcher's not doing his job, and he gets lazy, and I can see a breaking ball. Mm-hmm. That's a good time for me to run. Mm-hmm. I want every edge I can get. But in the human element, right? you start crossing lines and videoing people illegally, having feeds that are being rushed to you electronically. For me, that's big time uh, crossing over. Mm-hmm. But once again, I need that evidence before I can go to the mat on it. We can sit here and throw opinions out, conspiracy theories, but until we know that, I don't think we're in a position, any of us are in opinion or in a position to have that strong go to the mat, 
opinion because that's what it is. It's an opinion until we get those facts. Well, we know that they were guilty of something. Otherwise, the last thing right. that Major League Baseball wanted to do was to do what they, they've gone down this path where they've had to call out the Astros and guys had to get fired and let go. Here, here's what I want to ask about the union because you brought it up. We all know how strong the union is, and we all know that the union, the players look out for each other when it's all said and done. They're all on the, they're all on their the same team. So what, what I mean by that is, like, let's say even if you played for the Mariners and you wanted to come to San Diego but you're willing to take less money, the union won't even let you do that because it affects other guys down the line. You aren't allowed to take less money. Everything's about helping the players down the line. What do you think right now as a former player, as a guy that's part of that union, that there are guys in the union, meaning Bellinger and Turner and Mike Trout, who are and Giancarlo Stanton, or now calling out players part of the same union. Uh, what does that do for the players' association? What does that do for the guys who are members of the Astros? As you said, other teams have probably done it, but this is the first time we've ever seen infighting like this from a union that is so strong. Without a doubt, like I said, this is one of the biggest nightmares for not only the union but Major League Baseball, the owners, the the franchises, uh, the players. When you get and especially prominent players come out, I, I I heard the Trout interview. Uh, Mike's a concept professional. He he's very soft spoken. Doesn't say much, and he came out. He did it in a very classy way. I thought he was I, I thought he was very professional in how he came out. He wasn't coming out blasting him, you know. He just kind of said, hey, this is unfortunate, and, you know, I lost some respect for some guys over there. Okay, assuming that, you know, what happened, though? I still need to know what happened. Are they getting the feed? Is it just a guy in the clubhouse giving a sign to him who's giving it to him? When, when you get into the trash can thing, it's very, uh, it's very elementary for me. It's like I know as a player, I always every scenario that comes up, I like to put myself on the field and I say, if I'm playing second base and I hear a trash can coming from a major league dugout and it's a slider, something in my brain's going to click on right now and go, wait a minute, something's off here. That's what Jeff said. Okay, mm -hmm. now I'm going to listen again, and two pitches later, I hear a trash can, bang, and it's a slider. Time out. I go to the mound and I'm going to talk to my pitcher. I'm going to call the catcher out and I'm going to say, listen, <clears throat> just so I'm not going crazy here, <laughs> let's switch. Let's switch up the signs, but let you let your fastball sign. We're going to throw a slider when we call for a fastball or, or vice versa. Yeah. Now, I hear that trash can again, and we lock up the next pitch, and we cross them up. Now I know we got something. Okay, I go to the pitcher. Pitcher's going to take care of business right then and there, and that's over with. So as far as this, this trash can thing where, oh, they were getting every pitch from the trash can. As a player, I know that's impossible. At the big league level, you got a lot of astute guys out there that know what the heck is going on. And we're on to, and there's somebody on that field. You're not going to get away with banging a trash can. That's stuff, that stuff for, for high school. Not even high school. They figure you know, it out. You, you figure that out yeah. like that. Yes. So, so to say that they were getting every pitch all year, that, that's, it's really kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's a cool theory to yell at people about, but it's not realistic at the major league level. Um, once again, this is very, you know, the Beltron thing really, it really, uh, it intrigues me. That line is you're way behind the, the curve here. Well, who else was doing it? <clears throat> how are they doing it? Um, how long has this been going on? You know, we're old guys now. I'm 50 yeah. years old. I didn't have an iPhone and an iPad and this technology that we have today, you know, with all the data in baseball. And, and it's another generation of player. These players today aren't like we were. These are techie guys. They're, they're, they grew up with a computer and a phone in their hand. 
they know the, the, the ways of the world. You know, still, I'm, I'm 50 years old, and I'm asking my 15-year-olds, hey, can you fix my phone? Can you give me this app? <laughs> yeah. You know, these kids today, they know all that stuff. So uh, it's a different world. It's a different level. You know, I uh, talked to my dad about it a little bit as a catcher. I think as players, as this game advances and the data, the data's not going away. You could take everything away from everybody. If you want to find a way, you'll find a way with the technology. I think as a player, what I need to do is I got to get a little more creative on my signs. And it was, you know, before it's the catcher's closing his legs. Yeah. And his job is to keep the signs from anybody except for his pitcher. Now I think you almost have to add the attitude is, well, you know, I, I see Major League Baseball's trying to take the right steps to rectify this. But going forward, what's best for my team is to pretend like I'm being watched anytime I'm on that field. So I got to get real high tech on how I'm giving my signs. So I got to get better at defending my signs as the games go on. Ten years from now, don't think there's not going to be something else that comes up. And, and if we think, oh, no, this will be squashed and this will just go away for the rest of time, I think we're naive to think that way. We're always looking for bigger, better, faster, whatever we can do. Edge, 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 edge. What can I get from this and this and this? Um, not saying you cross the line and, and really do something immoral, but to think that people aren't going to be finding an edge in the future, they're just going to find different ways to do it. And I think as, as players and especially defenders um, – we got to get a little more high tech with our signs and how we give them and, and make them a little more complicated. And, and like I said, pretend everybody's watching all the time. And, uh, you know, I think this game in the, in the long run, it's been, it's been around for a long time and it's survived and it's survived a lot of scandals and it's going to survive this one. It's just going to take some time. And that Houston ball club, the, the tough part I think about them, they go from worshiped everywhere they go. They come out of that dugout in spring training to cheers, and, and now you're coming out of that dugout, and, it, and it's that look on that little fan's, in that little fan's eyes. Is he looking at me because he loves me because I'm a Houston Asher, or is he looking at me thinking you're a cheater? Yeah. And that's a tough thing to get by. And the only thing that's going to heal that is time and winning. Because it seems like when you come out and you win, it takes care of a lot of things, and that's all Houston can do right now. They got a first of all. I think they need to they need to get up on that podium again, do it right. I agree, and show some remorse, and show some real remorse. So people like me, people like you, fans of the game, the true fans, they say, you know, I, I see, because we all make mistakes in our life, and and not only on the professional level, but just in life itself. I mean, we all have times where we look back and say. Man, I wish I would have done things differently. But I'll correct going forward, and I'm going to be a better person for it. These guys can do that, too. Sometimes something like this got to catch you to, for you to think, man, that wasn't what I should be doing. I'm going to rectify that and move forward and be a better person and a better player for it. But I got to show some remorse and show that I am truly sorry, and then I'm going to change, and I'm going to be better for it. And I think if you do that, fans and, and this society in general, it's very forgiving, but they got to see a real effort. And they don't want to see you reading off cue cards. That's yeah. not gonna. That's not gonna quench their thirst. Now these assholes ain't getting forgiven. <laughs> well, I'm Tony, they're not. They're not because the thing is, to me, what I look at is you talked about the game within the game, the, and, and we love all that, right? If you're able to figure it out, and the catcher's trying to deke you, and you're working on that. Man, that's all open. I'll tell you what, if, if I, I had love this that. technology, I could have just had, well, now my ex-wife. I could have had her just sitting <laughs> on the couch saying, red, red and blue for fastball and slider. This game would be simple. Let's go. It'd be but, a simple game. But here's what I'm wondering, and you played this game. You know a lot of guys in this game. 
You played with a lot of polarizing figures. However, when they come on the field, and we have 25 guys at my job. We were going to go to opening day for the Padres. We're not. We're going to the Angels home opener against the Astros because we just want to be there to hear it. It's not the little kid, Brett. What's Altuve going to do? What's Bregman going to do when they get out there and it's, hey, fuck you, you fucking dick. 81 <laughs> nights. And you, Brett, you know what I'm saying? I'm, have you ever played with a guy that would have been considered a genuinely hated guy in, in baseball? Well, I think the closest and the best I've ever seen is Barry Bonds. Yeah. Yeah, but Barry Bonds was so above that. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I tease all the time. I said, he, it's like he doesn't have a heart. Yeah. yeah. This guy could really care less. I think as a player, as a professional player, your biggest weapon is to not care. I don't think it's necessarily a great human trait to have. Yeah. But if you can truly, if you could give me a superpower and say, when you go onto the field, you genuinely don't care what anyone thinks of anything. Do you think that team has that makeup? We're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to find Bregman out. Bregman seems that way right now. Like, Bregman fucks off all the time. Boy, Correa got rattled. Yeah. Altuve looks rattled. Well, this is human stuff. Sure, sure, Th- sure. This is, this is very. They got caught. This has got to be a very humbling time. Like yeah. I said, you know, we all make mistakes. We're all in glass houses. Yes. Sure. You know, to, to sit here and say I'm perfect and I did everything perfect in my life on and off the field. Oh, that's ridiculous. I'd be lying. Yeah. And I think all everybody else would. It's sure. glass houses. Yes. You know, but there's second chances, and there's time to rectify this, and there's time to own up to what you right. do. Be a man. Step to the podium. Own up to what you did. I don't like the fact that everybody's on social media and, and, and yucking it up when everything's going great. You're a big league player. Yeah. This isn't for little kids. Yeah. You know, when you, when you, when you sign that contract, you make $20 million a year. There's something that comes along with that. But Brett, you got to step to the podium, good, bad, and different, and be a man. But you're right. We don't want to stand in the driveway of our glass house and throw rocks. However, to me, there's a difference between going 80 and a 65, and when your back is turned, going into your wallet and taking 40 bucks out. And to me, when Mike Trout comes out, when you've seen these different guys come out, it goes back to what I asked you at the start. It's losing the respect of your peers that these guys. I, I think that's the toughest thing for me. Yeah. I think that would be the one toughest thing because when I played this game, I played the game right. I played right. the game hard. And, you know, a, a lot of times I would look across, and, and especially when I was a young player coming up and I had the reputation, oh, he's cocky, he's this, he's that. Um, I was just trying to do the best I could. Maybe it's the way I walked, the way I talked. Uh, people didn't like it. You always look at somebody in the other dugout and you say, I don't like the way that guy, I don't like his mannerism. Yeah. You know? And I got to a point in my career where I could care less what you thought if you were an opponent. But I'll tell you what, you were going to respect me and how I played the game because that was much more important to me than whether you liked me. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to be buddies. If I meet you after hours, if I meet you at a bar or a restaurant, we'll probably be friends. But I don't care. I'm here to beat you. And you're going to respect me. I don't care if you like me. I'm not here for you to like me. But you're going to respect me the way I play. I'm going to play the game right, and I'm going to play it hard. And I think losing respect by things you do in the game, by your peers, it might be the biggest sentence you could have. Mm -hmm. To be walking around and having a guy as coveted as a Mike Trout and as respectful and as professional as he behaves, let alone he's the best player in the game, Mm -hmm. for him to look at you, with a disappointment, like, mm-hmm. 
man, that's got to hurt. Big. And I'll tell you, it, it, that's where I got to see the remorse yeah. and the comeback. Because I'll guarantee a guy like Mike Trout, yeah, he'll give you a second chance. But you got to show him. Yeah. You got to show him. You don't just, you got to read off cue cards. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, I think, for me, when I watch the game, you know, I see stuff like that, the, the reading of the cue cards, and I just don't see the, the, the true, the sorriness. Is that yeah. a word? Yeah, sure. I want to see that. I'm not yeah. that tough. I played this game. I know how hard it is. Yeah. But I got to see that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a little bit of, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of uh, rope. Yeah. But you got to show me something. Yeah. You see, here's the deal. The way Jeff was was speaking a second ago is exactly how I think so many fans feel. I feel. I mean, we love the game. We've loved the game since we were little kids. Never had a chance to play it. Would have loved to have a chance to play it, but we couldn't play it. So we're the biggest fans of the game that, that you can possibly see. There are a bunch of people in the world just like us. I look at you and I say, think of your dad. I think of your grandfather. I think of you and your brother and your son who's about to get drafted again. And I go, this is your family business. This is what you guys have given your entire lives to, and these guys kind of shit on the family business. And so, a, a guy like like your dad, who is 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 up as a person that I, as as I admire in the world, I think Bob is just the the, the greatest guy going. But I want, I'm dying to know what your dad has said about the situation. About this has hurt what we have all worked, not just the Boone family, but everybody for almost 200 years that has broken their back trying to justify this game. That what it has done to the reputation of Major League Baseball. Well, it's definitely, you know, this is our game. Yeah. Is your dad uh, upset like Jeff and I are upset or does he th- believe that? People I don't think he's upset. I, I, I think he's a, you know, and I don't want to speak for dad because I haven't talked to him at length about this controversy. He's down in spring training right now around it. And and I'm sure he's feeling the game that he's grown I mean, up his in son and Aaron been a got, part of. Got screwed years. over by it. He watched it. Yeah. Um. But I think he's kind of like me right now. He's waiting to for the real info to come out. What do you got? Is the Astros? Who else is it? You know, is it the, is it the, uh, what did the Red Sox have to do with it? Yeah. Why did he step down? Well, because Alex, well, Alex Cora had the connection as the bench coach. Right, but did that happen? But, but, but you're the bench coach. Okay. And you're in Houston. Did you just leave Houston and say, well, we're not doing that anymore. Or were you resigning because of your behavior in Houston? Or did you bring it to Boston? It was on the lowdown. I need to see those things. See, I think Alex Cora is one of the worst guys in this whole thing, and it hasn't come out yet. It will come out in a week or so. I, I, that's but Alex Cora called out called out the Yankees. Right, it's and, hypocrisy yes, at the highest level. When they were in England, he called out the Yankees and said, well, guess what? The Yankees are doing what the Astros were doing. Well, wait a second. You were part of what the Astros were doing. Yeah. And then he called the Nationals and said, hey, watch out for what the Astros my, are doing. My bottom and then, line is this. It's like, wait a second here. You handle it like a man. Yeah, and you he, he oh, definitely didn't. He was doing it too. He was doing that's it too. That's exactly the, what he yeah. did. That's not what we do. We own up to what we are responsible for. Right. We, let the, we let the other things take care of itself. It'll come out. You don't need to be pointing fingers when you're guilty. You own it. You be a man. You step to the mic. You own up to it. You move on. You do the best job you can to help your team win. And... Uh, this pointing fingers, this for me as a player, I'm going to handle stuff on the field, man. I ain't got time. I don't have time to do interviews of telling him he should get this taken away or this trophy or this and that. It's not for my decision. That's not my decision. That's something that's made by major league baseball. Why am I going to get caught up in that? My thing is, listen, I'm glad major league baseball's. I'm really sorry to hear what Houston supposedly was doing. I'd like to. I'd like a bit more information, 
But in the meantime, I hope they investigate. I hope they do the right thing. I got to get ready for my team this year. And if I find out some things, we're going to find out. When we find out, we're going to take care of stuff the way we take care of things. The way things always have been taken care of on the field by the players. Um, because we have no control over what makes Does it, it happen baseball. Does it happen if I, if I come out and say, oh, yeah, this should happen, nobody cares. Yeah, they might care. Oh, the current player, he's, he's talking about it. Yeah, they, that might have a little. But the bottom line is what I say is not going to be the, the end all. It's not. Um, I, I, I just really want to see all this information. I, I, I want to hear about the Beltron thing. Where did it come from? How many other teams are doing it? Are there guys right now on other teams across the country going, I better shut up because they, yeah. they better not check into our team because we had three guys that were doing it. And yeah, four guys over here. Once again, the only way you know is being a current player in that clubhouse. But I do know as a former current player in that clubhouse, when something's going on, it's usually not an isolated event. It's not an isolated team. And that's just all I can go on is my experience. Here's the one thing, Brett, I'm wondering about. If you're wearing that Astros uniform, you played this game a lot. You saw a lot. And you may have known situations where you walked in to the box and you go, you know what? There's a shot this dude's going to buzz one at my head right now for this reason or that. Mm -hmm. You have every team in baseball that's saying, hey, they're going to get theirs. And I'm wondering, if you're wearing that uniform, how comfortable can you be at any of that? Well, I know game situation, right? But, man, it sure feels like these guys are going to get dinged a few well, times. It's not a, it's not a good feeling to have. But, but also, as a player, if I get a real vendetta, I get a real problem with you, the yeah. last thing I'm going to do is go talk about it on social media. The last thing I'm yeah. going to do is go and do an interview with ESPN telling everybody how I'm going to drill everybody. Oh, way to go. Yeah. No, if I get a real problem with you, I'm going to be quiet. Yeah. I'm going to take yeah. care of things the way I That's take care of things. That's what I'm saying. Can you ever you, be you, comfortable? You put, it, you put it out there. Now, all of a sudden, you put a bullseye on your back. Because yeah. you said you're going to do something, mm -hmm. especially in today's game. We're getting farther and farther away, and I think it has to do with the economic structure in the game and how much money these players are making. It's really tough to an eye for an eye like it used to be. It was a simple thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but nowadays, they really run it, and those umpires don't put up with anything. Yeah. Now, they're going to be on hypersensitive alert now anytime the Astros are in the building. Yeah. And it's going to be to the point where – it. it I can see it getting ridiculous the other way. Mm -hmm. Like if you even come close to hitting the Astros back, oh, you were thrown at him because of the scandal. Okay. Now that gets us out of the game. You know, people are still going to get drilled when they don't mean to get drilled. People are going to get drilled when they deserve to get drilled for something that went on in a spring training game two years ago that nobody remembers. That's why I say, you know, people always say, oh, did you see that game the other night when the guy got hit? Yeah. Okay, what do you think about it? <clears throat> well, here's what I think about it. I think about... We don't know everything, the reason that led up to that. That could be something on a backfield in a B game in spring training <laughs> in 2018 that those two guys yeah. were in the situation, and they know why they got hit. Yeah. Okay? But us as the fan in 2020 seeing a, a day game in St. Louis, yeah. we have no idea why he uh, hit him in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> we have no idea. But I'll guarantee you he yeah. does. He knows. Takes so, his base. So, so that, that's one more thing. You've got to get all the information before you just come out and go, oh, he couldn't, shouldn't have hit him. That was BS that he hit him. Yeah. Well, you don't know the backstory, yeah. man. Yeah. There's a backstory to everything in this game. Yeah. But so, so you always got to step back because your emotions say, oh, I want to comment on this and tell you what, what I think because I'm a player. No, wait a minute. I've been in a lot of situations 
where I, you know, I've been in so many situations where I'm on the field, certain team, certain year, certain pitcher on the mound gives me a wink, drills the next guy, coming to the dugout and says, I got him back for you, Booney. Remember in spring training last year when <laughs> he did that thing, he slid in spikes high? Hey, I remember that. Thank you. Yeah. Because I didn't forget it. Fucking great. Nobody else knows that except for me and the pitcher. And yeah. I was appreciative yeah. that he remembered that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the cool stuff yeah. in this yeah. game. Yeah. That you, not to say, oh, I know these intricate things, but you can't know that unless you're a player and you went through it. All right. As a batter, we are, besides getting hit in the face, what's the one place you don't want to get hit? Is it the wrist? Is it the hands? What's the place where Elbow. you go? I'm going to miss a lot of time. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Getting hit in the tip of that elbow, it, it just drops you to your <laughs> knees. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, you know, I was a faker, too. And it, and it was, I mean, I was the biggest baby on purpose because I, I had a, I, there was a method behind my madness. I mean, and I, and I told people about this all the time. And once I explained myself to them, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm, I consider myself kind of a tough guy. Yes, come but on. I'll tell you, if, <clears throat> nowadays it wouldn't work because everything's on super slow-mo replay. Yeah. So we know, actually, because they'll replay it if you said you <laughs> got hit and the umpire said you didn't. Back in the day, there was no replay. Yeah. So if that ball, if I'm 0-2 and that ball comes anywhere close, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm hitting the ground. I got drilled. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm rolling around, and it hurts so bad because I don't want to be 0-2. And if yeah. I get the yeah. first, I get a fresh count next to bat. There were it was twofold though. It was not only it was not only for that, but but a pitcher would would actually hit me, come inside, miss with a fastball, catch me on the you know maybe it didn't hurt, maybe it hurt a little bit. Oh, I'm going to make sure it hurts a lot. Because my goal is to get that pitcher to feel sorry for me. So I'm in the dirt, but I'm peeking under the bill of my helmet saying, does he feel bad? Does he feel bad? And if he's punching his glove like, oh, man, I didn't want to hit him. Wow, that's an advantage for me. What right. Does that, what does that tell you? Next time I come up, what does he not want to do? Yeah, hit you again. So he doesn't want to hit me again. So what does that eliminate? He's not yeah, coming inside. inside. Yeah. So now he's either going fastball way or he's going to try to trick me with something off speed. Yep. It, I just eliminated a pitch. Right there. Just because yeah. I played this fake game. Yeah. Call me a baby, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Took away a third of the plate. <laughs> Does it sound brilliant? It's Absolutely. Great. All right. All right, let me ask you no, this. We all agree. Uh, so after this broke, and this was the second thing I thought of the other day when you came on, uh, when I knew you were coming back, is right after this thing breaks, who steps up to the microphone and says, hey, just a reminder, all I did was I bet on my team. Because I believed in guys like Brett Boone, and I was a little short. I tell you what, you, the got, you guys are getting me wrong. Hey, stop with these softball questions, guys. <laughs> Doug on it. I'll tell you what, I'm coming to the Lions' den. I'm just saying, Booney. I used to work at Del Mar. I met Pete. He was very nice to me. Yes, he charged me seventy-five bucks for a signed picture. I'll tell you what, you're putting me in a rough position here. <laughs> okay, you don't have to answer it. Let I'm, me let me let me disclose this. Go ahead. I love Hall of Fame Pete. I'll tell you what, I, I, I uh, you know, my dad played with Pete. I got to spend two or three years with Pete as a kid coming to the clubhouse, tagging around. Did he charge you to talk? I to never him? had. <laughs> <laughs> I never had. You know, I grew up around a bunch of players, and every who's your favorite player? I don't have a favorite player. I like them all. Yeah, but if you really pressed me on it, yeah. Just strictly on how he played the game and watching Pete Rose is my favorite player ever. Right, everybody. just the way he played the game. 
This has no relevance to the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. There's certain things that are written, and I think you guys know by going in and out of major mm-hmm. league locker rooms. It's posted right on the door. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. the number one thing? No gambling. Okay. And now you break it down and say, well, he never gambled against his team. But let's break it down further. You gamble on your team. Let's just go back to those Reds team. Mm-hmm. Rob Dibble's your closer. Yeah. He just closed two nights in a row. Mm-hmm. Usually go down to those guys and you say, hey, Rob, you're off tonight. For the well-being of the team, for Rob Dibble's health, yeah, for the long run, yeah, you got twenty grand on the game. You bring it in Dibble, Fuck even yeah. though you know he's not supposed to be in there, and you're putting him yeah. in jeopardy. Yeah, that's where I look. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Pete didn't go ever to try to lose a game. Pete's no. trying to win every game he can. But w- where's the point where mm-hmm. you sacrifice your integrity and you do something that you normally wouldn't do because you have a bet on the game? And I'm not saying that happened or it didn't, but you got to sure. go down that avenue of questioning when you're making this type of decision. And I hate to say it because Pete, like I said, is my favorite player. Sure. And I go back and forth on this, and, and it, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it's a question because I have so much respect for this guy as a player. But it... it, it it, it kind of haunts me. I, I go back you. and forth, and I look at that thing. Every time you walk into the locker room, it's the number one thing. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I'm on the fence. <laughs> no, but <laughs> you know what? And I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Brett, that's why I'm glad you're here, because it's really simple, or to be able to ask you that question, because it's really simple for me and Dave, but we were never there. And that's why you have to know what you don't know. And for a guy that did it every day like you did it, that understands what's expected within the four walls of that clubhouse. Right, but the first thing you go to, right, as just your normal brain goes to, well, he never bet against himself, so it's okay, but you never looked at the other side of the ledger. you got to look at the other side of the ledger. you got to look at the whole thing before you make an educated, proper decision. Yeah. See, and right now, I'm just going to look right at Jeff. We're going to pretend Brett's not here on this because Brett has a family relationship with the Rose family. So yeah. I'll, I will say this as, as I'm talking to Jeff and keep Brett out of this because I don't want it ended up somewhere, is when you lose your bets and you lose again and all of a sudden yeah. they come asking for that money, guess what? Today you can either pay us $400,000 or you're going to lose today. And that's, it's that easy. And when you're a player manager, it's that easy to figure out how you're going to make that lineup out. Yeah. And so I'm not saying he 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 bet when when uh, for his team to lose, but man, that's a quick way to erase a four hundred thousand well, dollar debt. And again, with Brett, I, you don't have to answer this. This has always been my opinion, and Dave and I have sat with him. I think Pete likes being out of the Hall of Fame because it allows him to set up at the Main Street Cafe in Cooperstown, where he can charge a hundred bucks. And he can play his violin. And I like him a lot. He sat right here in an interview. We had a great time. But once they say, yes, Pete, you're in, then he's just one more Hall of Famer. But for now, he can be that guy that everybody, oh, come on, let him in for Christ's sake. What are we doing? And I think Pete likes that. I think Pete likes being that guy. I think ultimately he would like to be in. But, but Dave, you and I sat with him. Brett, you for know For three him. days in a row, you and I sat with him. Yeah. And I, I I'll tell you, and, and so you know Pete, and you know when when they made not Pete, like you do, but we find right. But you know that that they broke the mold. Absolutely, you know he's got. There's certain guys you run into in your career that that really leave a lasting impression. Pete was one yeah. of those guys. Uh, Lou Pinello was one of those guys for me. 
Yeah. First time I played with Ken Griffey Jr. and saw the level of talent of a guy that was the same age as me. That left a mark in my brain. Like, wow. The first time I watched Barry Bonds play, it's different. Mm-hmm. Vladimir Guerrero left it, mm. and these are all these are all examples of just skill and talent on the field. When I talk about Pete, it wasn't only that the guy has over forty one hundred hits, mm-hmm. but it's the way he got them, the personality. And if you've sat with him, you you get a real quick feel. He's great. He's he's tremendous. Yeah, I mean he's he's entertainment. Yeah, you know I think I've told stories about him before, and his son tells the stories the best. But you know I I stayed at his house and. And uh, the night before the parade, and he woke me up at, at five in the morning and cracked a Pepsi and said, get on the float, Mullion. Mullion back in the day. <laughs> you know, Mullion back in the yeah, day means yeah. ugly. Yeah. You know, I'm 12 years old. I'm like, whatever, Pete, let's go. <laughs> uh, so I have so many fond memories with Pete. And, and like I said, to this day, he's probably my favorite player. You know, I look to my yeah. dad all the time as, as a glowing example of how to be a professional and how to carry yourself. Uh, but as far as just favorite who I want to see, yeah. I want to see Pete play. Yeah. I want to see that head head first slide, yeah, which he yeah. which he made so famous, and the way he played and, and the the stories my dad would tell. And and I think I told this story before. It's like Pete, uh, you know, my dad said Pete Rose is unbelievable. He's going through a messy divorce, and this is right around 1979, right to 1980. And he went up to Pete one day and he said, Pete. I don't know how you do it with how much press is being put on you about the divorce. And I don't know how you come to the ballpark and play this well every day. And he looked at me and said, Bobby, it's a hell of a lot easier going three for four than zero for four. And that was the mentality wow. he had. He was a guy who were, were most of us normal players. If we have four hits in a game, we're pretty happy. Our mm-hmm. team's winning. We had a pretty good day. And if we, if we go four for five, it's no big deal. Pete was different. He wanted to get that fifth hit, and if he didn't, he was pissed. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what made him Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. The Hit King stuff is is awesome. I mean, as as oh, as the best. I mean, all the way through to what is he now in his in his early seventies? And he's, he's got to be late seventies. Late seventies. I now. think he's wow. old, yeah, wow. he's older than dad. So. That that's something else. But that just the whole thing where he has you know he has become the Hit King. We know he signs because Jeff and I well, both and his have, son's the Hit Prince. I named he, him that. <laughs> Petey Jr. Petey Jr. is a piece of work. Yeah. Funny. Oh, funny. And uh, I named him that probably, oh, I forget when, but I said, your dad's a hit king. And, and Pete calls him, Petey Jr. calls him yeah. hit king. Yeah, yeah. I and love he, it. Hit yeah. king called me the other day. I said, your dad? He goes, yeah, the hit king. <laughs> so I said, you're the hit prince. He goes, yeah. yeah, I am the prince. And I think yeah. he talks about himself as the prince now. Yeah, he's going to be 79 this year. Damn. In April, he's going to be 79. Damn. Uh, Brett, we, there. In San Diego, there's a lot of conversation in this garage about Manny Machado. About Manny Machado and, I mean, we saw an MLB network the other night when they're ranking the top 100 players. They had him at like 59th, which could be a debate in itself. But I was saying last night to Dave, having watched this Padre team since I was a kid, I remember two guys that came to the plate that were so intimidating and I believe you played with both of them. I know you played with Kevin Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And I was also talking about Gary Sheffield. And mm-hmm. you could put Caminetti in this group too. That when they came up as a Padre fan, you looked at and you go, man, we have the badass on our side. The pitcher doesn't want to face this guy. And often, no matter what the pitcher did, and I remember it with Mitchell 
and Sheffield so much that no matter who the guy was on the mound, they made him pay. And I think as a fan base, that's who we want Machado to be. But there was a mentality, you know it with Mitchell, (laughs) Sheffield, Caminiti, that they just wanted it every second of every game. Do you see that in Machado? And can you teach a guy to have that kind of demeanor, or is he just going to be who he is? Well, I'll I'll tell you. Uh, I played with Kevin, and man, could he hit. Wow. You know, I played with him one year in Cincinnati. I believe it was 90. I believe it was 94. And uh, never played with uh, New Caminiti, never played with him, played against Gary a lot. Okay. Um, And obviously, I've never played against Manny Machado. Mm -hmm. I watched Manny Machado. I'm in awe of some of his talent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw a couple years ago when he was with the Dodgers. And he just slid over to shortstop because Seager went down. He was a third baseman. He's just going to go play short in the big leagues in the postseason mm-hmm. and act like no big deal. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen in our game. You're a shortstop, you're a shortstop. You don't just slide over and fill in for a few days and, and act like a gold glover. I mean, I was a second baseman. I was a second baseman for a reason. Mm-hmm. My feet used to get tangled up at short, and they made me a second baseman. If you needed me in a pinch to go play short, I could probably go play short. Mm-hmm. And you put me there two days in a row, three days. Eventually, I'm going to be exposed. And I watched Manny go over there. It was unbelievable. It was no big deal for him. That's a once-in-a-lifetime type talent mm-hmm. that doesn't really exist. Obviously, he can hit. He's put up numbers. He's a young man. Um, I'd like to see a little bit different level of intensity out of him. I'm not going to say... Like I said, I don't know Manny. I don't play with him. I play with a lot of guys that come off as very nonchalant, but really cared. Okay, and that's just the way they were. Mm-hmm. I don't like when players come out and say, I don't run hard. Okay. Who are you? You know, I played with some of the greatest players in the world, and I've never heard them say on a mic, I don't play hard. That's not what I do. I don't run hard. I don't think that's the best example, especially for the young kids coming in, like a Tatis. Exactly. He's a ridiculous talent. Mm-hmm. I watched him last year, and, you know, now, I, man, these kids are so young. Right. They're 21 years old. He reminds me of a young Hanley Ramirez. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's if you remember Hanley Ramirez. Well, we thought Hanley first, at one time was the best player came, in baseball. When yeah. he first came up, it's yeah. a pretty high praise. Absolutely. And I watched his Tatis last year, and, and I, didn't even, I didn't even know who Tatis was. I knew his, I knew his dad was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew he hit two grand slams in an inning. Yeah, yeah I believe. Against who, Dave? Against and the Dodgers. It, oh, that's correct. right. And uh, I remember coming back from that game, and, and <laughs> I had to call Jake in, in <laughs> yeah. New Jersey, and I said, have you seen this Tatis guy? I said, yeah, Dad. Have you seen Tatis? I said, he's got a cannon. And then I started asking him, I said, he's got the best arm in baseball. Mm. And he's 21 years old, and he plays with that with that smile on his mm-hmm. face, and he's like he's having like he's having a good time. It doesn't have a fear in the world. And I remember when I was 21, it was like, man, I was grinding. I just wanted to stay yeah. another day. Uh, so I, I respect that a lot. And, and I think, wow, that would be cool being 21 and being that comfortable already. Um, but I think as an elder player and as a player, when you get in a position, when you sign a big contract, I remember when I was in Seattle, and, and, and it's not comparable contracts, but I was the highest, player on the, the highest paid player on the team. And I felt a lot of responsibility that came along with that. I felt like I had to step up to the mic. I felt like I had to be accountable. Good times, bad times, indifferent. I felt like I had that responsibility. You want to make the most money? There's something that comes along with that. Yeah. And you got to be accountable. you got to be accountable on a daily basis. And I like to see guys do that. It doesn't mean just because I want to see it, it has to be the way. 
But I'd like to see a little bit more fire and a little bit more. I'm not saying Manny doesn't care. Of course, we all care to a certain level. But I'd like you to, you know, it's like we were talking about Mm -hmm. the Houston and the remorse thing. Yeah. Okay, I'm not saying you're not remorseful, but you're not acting like it. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't run hard, Manny, but you're not acting like you want to run hard, especially when you say it. So I'd like to see a little more. I think when you're the when you're the man, when you sign a contract like that, you have certain responsibilities, and, and yeah. that's how I grew up. Um, and, and it doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. It sure. just means as a as an ex player, as a fan, that's what I want to see. I want to see balls to the walls yes. every single day. You got three hours a night, and I always used to think about that. I can do anything on my own time, but three hours a night, I owe it to that fan and that. In, that bought a ticket to come watch me play, the mm-hmm. best I can do. And some nights I'm going to suck. But it's not because I'm not giving you everything I got sure. every night. You deserve that as a fan when you walk in that arena to see if you're coming to see me, Brett Boone's going to give you everything he's got tonight. Hopefully yeah. he does good for you. But if not, it's not because I, I was giving you a yeah. half-assed effort. Oh. So here's my my feeling as a, a guy that watches every Padre game. You, you hit it right on the nail for me as far as the way I feel about Machado. Tremendous talent. Would like to see a little bit more effort. What I worry about Tatis, because just as we talk on the show, the the guy is right there, maybe top two. I mean, Mike Trout, Tatis, as far as guys that you're going to sit there and watch the television if they're right in front of your face. What I worry about Tatis is a couple things need to happen. The Padres need to at some point – push for the, not only the postseason but to show they're making a run for the world series before he becomes a free agent and also a, as a as a player i'm worried that machado might rub off on tatis because right now he's doing everything great but eventually he's going to look over there and go that guy has a 300 million dollar contract i want one of those for you as a player at what point was it the money became secondary because you have enough of it and the championship started to mean something I think from day one, I never thought about the money for one minute. You always wanted the World Series. I, I, I wanted to win. So I wanted to do good. I wanted to do the best I could do and help my team win. And I never thought about a nickel. And I remember, you know, man, late in my career, I was very fortunate to, to make a lot of money. And I remember the checks, you know, you get your stipend on the 15th and the 30th. And I'd look at it, you know, reporters would come around, wow, what's it like to to make that kind of money? And I said, to be honest with you, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I don't really care. I'm over my last 12. Mm-hmm. One day I will care and be appreciative of the, of the, the living I was, I was fortunate enough to earn. But right now I could really give two craps yeah. about that check right now. It's about getting my swing right and helping my team win. That's what fans want to hear. And that's what yeah. I always thought. I, and that's, that, that's not me candy-coating it or me being politically correct. That's exactly how I felt. I never played this game one second for the money I was making. But I'll tell you, those contracts, when I signed that contract, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, that I can do that for my family. That's awesome. But once that game started, the last thing on earth was I'm I'm getting paid no matter what. I I hear that sometimes out of people. Oh, it doesn't matter. He's getting paid. I never thought like that. I thought, wow, I don't want to embarrass myself. You know, I don't want to wake up and say, you know, I'm not pulling my weight. I want to do the best I can and win. And then at the end, when it's all said and done, you go, wow, how cool was that? How much money I made? But I didn't think about when I was playing, not one time. Brett, we were talking before we started taping about the great job you did at MLB Network. And you were talking that you did a thing where they had you look at some of the top shortstops in the game. And and I don't know, maybe a tough question to answer, but I'll ask it anyways. You mentioned Tatis. And we look at Tatis, guy that came up through this farm system. We've been so excited to watch him play. 
he came in so energetic, the smile, he does so many things. And then all of a sudden this off season, you start hearing rumors that San Diego was talking to Cleveland about a deal for Lindor. And if you make a deal for Lindor to come in at shortstop, then the feeling was that maybe Tatis becomes your center fielder. And the question that so many fans have is, Tatis comes up, he he plays an electrifying shortstop. Yes, there's airs there as a young player. But if all of a sudden now you find out that this team that has really celebrated your arrival is one year after that arrival talking about moving you to center field where you haven't played, what can that do from the mental aspect of this game? Well, I think about that a lot. And, and a lot of our discussion here is about what is that like for a player? Well, it depends on the individual. Sure. Um, you know, I think about it a lot with this offseason and all the talk about Arenado. Yeah. In Colorado. Okay. Arenado uh, signs what he seems to seems to think is a very fair deal, market price for him. Uh, he, he, he's one of those guys that, that wants to be a Rocky. That's his home. He's the man in that city. He wants to stay there. And all of a sudden, he's getting bantered about. And there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. We can only mm-hmm. speculate. But when you're the star of the team, you think you find you, you, you've done nothing but been a great player from mm-hmm. day one. And you're being bantered about all winter. Uh, it's up to the individual. How do you handle that? Do you come, yeah. into, do you come into spring training and are you disgruntled? It's on a case-by-case basis. There's some guys that can set that aside. And once they cross the line, hey, all that crap is crap. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to play. And they'll do their job. And they'll be a professional. And they'll put up the same numbers they always put up. But there's other guys that are a little more sensitive and, yeah. and think, how could they tell me? You know, Tatis, 21 years old, how could they talk about being, you know. And, and that might have been real talk. That might have mm-hmm. been just stuff we're hearing. Sure. Um, you know, he might have been getting, uh, you know, from the organization behind the scenes going, hey, don't listen to this stuff about mm-hmm. center field. You're our shortstop. Don't you worry about that stuff. That might have been going on. Sure. Um and it's all up to the individual. I know if I was the shortstop and I just came up and I was this next, you know, and, and especially when people start telling you how great you are, you start to believe that in the back yeah. of your mind. You're thinking, well, how dare you? You know, I'm 21 years old and I'm Tatis and this guy's a great player. From what I've seen, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to yeah. remain a shortstop, whether Good. it's here or wherever he goes. Those once in a lifetime, once in a generation shortstop talents, you don't move those guys to center field. Yeah. You stay at short until you can't play short anymore. The day comes where you don't play short, you usually go over to third. Mm-hmm. If you're, a, a, you know, an extra special athlete like Tatis is, you could probably go out in center field and, mm-hmm. and play blindfolded. Not to, not to, well, now this is, leads me up to a little bit of a joke. I used to tell all my outfielders all the time. And, and a good friend of mine who was a tremendous center fielder, Mike Cameron, you guys. Oh, yeah, right absolutely. But I used to tell Cammy, you know, they'd be talking about these great plays, and I'd say, why do they show these outfielders on SportsCenter? <laughs> do you know how easy it is? I go out there and shag balls behind my back. And I said, you know what you guys are, right? You're a bunch of infielders that aren't good enough to play in the infield. <laughs> then you go to the outfield, and then the best of you guys in the outfield, yeah. that guy gets to play center. <laughs> so, so it's kind of, you know, was, I was half yeah. joking. Yeah. But it's kind of half serious. We yeah. all start off as we're the best player in Little League yeah. and where are we playing? Short. Shortstop. Yeah. And we go to high school and where are the best player play? Short. Yep. Usually go to college. Best player is usually the shortstop. Yep. That's why they yeah. always draft shortstops before second baseman. Right. Because usually the best players, and usually they go to third or they go to mm-hmm. second, but the best players on the team usually yep. are the shortstop. That's what we're told. Yeah. And and I know as a coach, and Dave and I have done some coaching together, I know usually our best defender yeah. is at short. 
Yeah. And and who knows where he's going to be down the line? Play short. And my dad used to tell me that all the time. He's a catcher. And as a kid, I always wanted to put the gear on and see what it's like to be a catcher. And he'd say, you don't catch. <laughs> I'd say, Dad, you're a catcher. Well, I have to be. He goes, you play short until they tell you you can't play short anymore. And that day came. And I played short through college, probably by mm-hmm. default okay. through my junior year. But I signed with the Mariners and I went to uh, instructional ball. And I remember the, I remember the day and, and, and they're giving us that, you know, rah, rah, shish, kumbah, da, 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 da. We haven't figured out where we're going yet. I, I ended up going to Peninsula in the Carolina League for my first assignment. They said, okay, okay, kids, you know, we're fresh out of the draft. Take your position. I started running a short, and I heard this voice go, boom, second base. I went, <laughs> Dad, I'm not a shortstop anymore. <laughs> but I think I knew what everybody knew. Everybody knew. Yeah. You know, there comes a time where – and I, I knew I'm a second baseman. Yeah. You know, at the big league level, I remember playing some – some uh, in 19 – I believe it was 92 – was my first spring training. I ended up getting to the big leagues later that year, but I had a really good spring training. And I remember they started to play me at short a little bit. Mm-hmm. Omar Vizquel was our yeah. shortstop, oh, wow. but that's yeah, when geez. Omar was hitting 200 and 210. And here's this gold glove shortstop. And yeah. they start playing me at short once in a while. And I'm going, you know, I really can't play short and <laughs> in the big Harold leagues Reynolds? every day, right? Harold Reynolds is a second baseman. Right. So that my first camp, I would be caddying for Harold. Okay. So Harold plays six innings and then I'd, come in in the seventh and hope that my my bat would come around yeah and sometimes it didn't sometimes it didn't but they had a couple times where i started it short and i'm out there going you know who are these guys kidding thinking i could play <laughs> short but hell i'm on the field and that's yeah. all that's all i can appreciate right now i'm in big league camp i'm number you know 106 and i'm just happy to be on the field so if yeah. you want to play short I'll, I'll try to fake you for a little bit but i knew i always knew from when i got to pro ball that my future was at second base. Yeah. And, and you accept that. We all kind of know. Yeah. You know, we know when we've reached our peak at short. And uh, like I said, I get in the, I, I was fine. Everything in front of me into my glove side was simple for me at short. Mm-hmm. But you get me in that hole and my feet would get tangled up. And, and the next thing you know, it's just, and that's what separates great shortstops. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you go over to second base. Now, not so much because of the shifts and everything going on. In my day, your bread and butter was how you turned a double play. Because yeah. these comes guys are coming at you, spikes high, and they're trying to take you out. Yep. And the great second basements, we made our money around the bag. That was our thing, the guys that could make that great pivot and turn that double play in the bottom of the ninth with the game on the line. That's where I earned my money mm-hmm. defensively. Nowadays, it's different. They're moving these guys around a lot. You have to slide right into the bag. You can't take guys out anymore. So the game has changed a little bit. But the shortstop position will never change as far as the best defender will be at short. You don't make people shortstops. Every other position on the field you can go to. Yeah. If you're a shortstop, you can play anywhere on the field. Yeah. But if you're another position, you never see somebody go, you know, he's a pretty good first baseman. Let's play him at short. <laughs> Doesn't exist. Center fielder, he's a great athlete. Let's put him at short. Doesn't exist. You know, it's funny. As you're talking, I'm thinking of Jorge Posada and Buster Posey and even Tim Wakefield. We're all shortstops. I remember the Pirates. Oh, wow. Trevor. Were, and Trevor was a shortstop. But I remember the Pirates were going to dump Tim Wakefield. And he says, before you, you cut me, let me show you my knuckleball. And he played like another 17 yeah. years. And it was it was one of those things where you say, go it short. I want to ask you about spring training. Because right now, baseball fans across the country are thinking a million different ways of how this could be their team season. But we know... Pirates aren't going to win. The Orioles aren't going to win. Their Tigers aren't going to win. Have you ever gone to a spring training knowing we have no freaking chance of winning? 
Never. But, but yeah, really, every single time you're Never. like, we oh, got this. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Wow. That was yeah. my opinion. Hey, they're picking us last. They don't know. They don't know the, the heat we got under the under under the hood here. Yeah. We were usually wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and maybe that was because I was young and naive. And I was, you know, bright-eyed, and I, I'm just happy to have a uniform on. But you're a competitor. So, yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to prove everybody wrong every year. And it's it's almost a, a cool naivety mm-hmm. to have. Because once you start getting complacent and thinking, you know, they are right. We're, we're not going to win this year. Ah, Maybe you're getting to a point where this game's starting to catch up to you. Yeah. But when you're young and you got that spring in your step, man, you're the best. You're going to have the best year. You're going you're gonna to do it against all odds. And I think that's the way you got to be. I think later in my career, I remember uh, having a decision like that. And I remember it was 2000, I believe, seven. And I was coming back and I was going to make one more uh, a comeback with the Washington Nationals. And I went to spring training and, it, man, I, I had lost. I'd lost a step. <clears throat> I was probably half the player I was three years ago even. And my knees were starting to bother me. And I remember it was tough for me to go play nine innings and play the next day. And I'd never experienced anything like that physically in my life. You know, I'd always think, oh, I'm 21 yeah. years old. I jump out of bed and I can, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't have to stretch. I don't have to warm up. And that particular spring training, man, I had to work to get out on that field. And, and I remember now back when I was first coming up and, and the veteran players walking around with ice bags and me looking at them going, what's wrong with you? And they'll say, you'll see one day, kid. Mm-hmm. And I, that day came for me, and I remember making a decision that year. Jim Bowden was the GM, and I had a phone call with him right before I finally retired. And he said, you know, we're going to bring you up in the next few days. Uh, what can you give me? And I kind of, you know, at that stage, I said, I could probably hit 270 for you, probably hit 12 home runs, probably, you know, back then we were just, he's like, give me what you think. And these aren't, you know, they're just my projections, what I thought physically where yeah. I was at. And I kind of ran down all the numbers. He goes, that's good enough. He goes, you know, and I said, you know what, Jim, let me go home and talk to my family about this. And that was the first time I thought to myself, because I saw that team. And it was a young team, and there was, there was some talent on that team. But I said, this team's going to lose 100 games. And I know how tough this game is when I'm fully cocked and loaded. And yep. in my heyday, it's really hard to be on a team that's going to lose 100 games. And I'm, I'm a shell of a player of what I used to be. That was the first time I, I realized wow. that we're not going to win, and this could be not a lot of fun for me because physically it was becoming hard to play, and that's when I decided to retire, and, and I had no regrets after that. But but you talk about going into spring training, that was probably the only time where I thought, this team ain't going to win. Right, is there – if somebody And said, they lost 100 games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the one thing we've always known in talking with you is you're very much at peace – with where you are today, the career that you had as you should. If somebody gave you the opportunity to say, Brett, you know what? For tonight, we're going to turn back the clock. You've got the opportunity for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, three hours, whatever you want. Just for nothing more than just the fun of the game. You can go back. You can play second base. You can hit. What uniform are you wearing? Where are you playing? Just for one time. One game, I got to lay yeah, it out? Yeah, just go well, back. Well, I'm 50 now, you know. No, I got it. But just to go back and more like I said, not about the money. So I, so just I, for the fun. Are you going to pay me for this? Sure. Oh, 11 okay. bucks. 11 bucks. Wow. 
Congratulations. Is that, is that above minimum? Uh, no, Dave's paying you. Okay, I got one game. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's an easy answer. I'm Where are you go, going? I'm going to go to Seattle. I'm going to play second base. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Nice. <laughs> and I'm going to try not. I'm going to try not to embarrass myself, but I cannot make. Uh, Who are you playing? Who you want? Who's on the mound? <sighs> Soft toss and lefty. <laughs> yeah. Randy Jones. <laughs> there's, not, there's not too many like of them anymore. Can we bring Moyer back? <laughs> yeah. Because he'll be 60. Randy Jones I is face, about 80. I want to face. I want to face Moyer. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, it's funny right. when the Braves traded for you. I was like, because we all knew the Braves were good for such a long time. Yeah. You were that, that missing piece. That, I mean, I know, you know, we always joke around <laughs> about Mark Lemke, but, <laughs> but you were the guy to be the improvement that were the one part they were missing. When you went into that 99 season with the Braves, you knew they brought you in because they thought you're the one missing piece. You had to go into spring training going, this is definitely a World Series team. Without a doubt. And I remember that I, I can still remember the spring training and the talk. Before, uh, it was a very different season than any season I've ever been through. It was very uh, is a different atmosphere in in Atlanta. I really liked the players there, uh, but it was different. It was a lunch. It was a lunch pail crew. It was we show up and we win and we go home. Mm-hmm. And I remember Bobby Cox addra- addressing the team, and and I was one of a few young uh, new players. I think Brian Jordan was new that year. Uh, I forgot who came over with me from. Oh, Mike Remlinger came over with me from Cincinnati, I believe, and I believe we got traded for Denny Nagel. And it uh, doesn't matter, but I remember that spring training, and Bobby Cox says, uh, "You know, and to the new players here, welcome." And by the way, in Atlanta, I throw the lineup out there, and we steamroll people. And I kind of went, "Wow, mm-hmm. this isn't something I've been." a part of before i've been on some pretty good teams in cincinnati but now you you know it, it makes you think and i'm going wow in the 90s they they win the division every single year you yep. got maddox smoltz glavin yeah. uh <laughs> I, I really can't argue with him and that's exactly what we did i think we went out and won 103 or 104 games and rolled through we ended up getting whooped by uh yankees in the world series but uh, that was a really good team you talk about getting traded and that's an experience the, the guy working at FedEx doesn't wake up tomorrow, and they're like, hey, buddy, good luck. You're on the UPS team now, and you're based in uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, and you have an hour and a half to get there. We just look at people getting traded. I, I work around the NHL, and guys are getting traded every day, and you just look at it, and you go, oh, wow. Your dad had to have been traded when you were a kid, I'm thinking. You probably had to be uprooted. But that experience, Brett, that experience as a kid when your dad gets traded, when it happens to you when you get traded, what is it like? Oh, dad getting traded was way worse. Had to be, right? Oh, yeah. All your buddies, I, I was man. 12. I'm going oh, seventh grade in Jersey. I ain't going to California. No way. You no, know, I'm pissed. Yeah. Dad, I ain't moving. <laughs> I ain't moving. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, he let, he let us stay in Jersey for a year, and then he said, no, you guys are coming out here. Yeah. It ended up being the best move I ever made to be able to play my God, youth man. baseball in southern california yeah. yeah but at the time you know when wherever you grow up is the place to be yeah you got your buddies that you're right. growing up from you know from t-ball to now no way am i leaving my buddies you know i get uh, so that was, that was the rougher trade yeah uh as a professional i get traded um after the 93 season from the mariners to the reds and i'm trying to think i got traded to the braves and that was it Neither time did I take it personal at all. Yeah. You know, I... I uh, did you get traded here? Not yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. 
Didn't you get traded here for did Reggie I? Yeah. Sanders? I did. Yes. I'm yeah. sorry. You guys. Oh, man. Well, I remember I'm that old. that press call because they made yeah. a big deal that you were a San Diego guy. And you're like, I was born there. I've never spent a minute. Right. It was to- a flyover. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> we were flying there to land a plane. I got born. And then I left. Um, it's it's not really a traumatic thing. You know, and I, I looked at it. And, it, and this is one of those things where I used to lean on my dad because there's not too much advice my dad gave me in my life. Mm-hmm. He gave me really good, ad, really, when he really stepped in and said, this is what I would do, probably four or five times I can remember in my How professional career. One time I didn't listen to him, yeah, and he was right all five times. <laughs> and he said to me, he, he said, you can't take this personal. He said, every time you get traded, just know that that team traded for you, they really want you. Yeah. And I looked at, I started looking at it that way. It's not personal. Yeah. You know, I got traded from, uh, we had a plethora of young middle infielders in Seattle. You know, and I was the heir apparent to Harold Reynolds, and I came out in the second half of 93. I had a really good, really good showing, and, and Pinnell and myself became, you know, we were closer than people thought. The media thought we hated each other because that's how it started off. Mm-hmm. But in the end, me and Lou were cool. Yeah. And I got traded, and uh, I didn't take it personal because, like I said, we had a pr- plethora of young players, young middle infielders. They needed – Dave Valley was our catcher. They needed a young future, going to be the catcher for years to come. Mm-hmm. And the Reds had just uh, drafted Danny Wilson, number one. Mm. So he was 23 years old, and he was an up-and-coming, you know, guy that was going to catch yeah. the big leagues for 10 years. Made perfect sense. They had extra middle infielders. They were getting a uh, front-line catcher. So the trade made sense, and, and I just thought, this isn't a personal thing. There's another opportunity for me in, in Cincinnati. I really enjoyed my time in Cincinnati. And then Jim Bowden, who who I always thought was a huge fan of me, said he called me one day, and he said, hey, uh, I think my mom was pissed, but I wasn't. And he said, Brett, we traded you to the Atlanta Braves. And I thought, Atlanta Braves, they go to the playoffs every year. I get a chance to win a World Series. Yep. And I got traded for Denny Nagel, who was a number one. Yeah. He ended up being the number one for the Reds, mm-hmm. you know, on the on that Brave staff, it was probably a four. But the rest of the uh, the rest of the teams, Denny was a number one or number two guy. So it wasn't like a it wasn't like a slight. It's like I got I got traded for a top, top right? shelf pitcher. I didn't take it personal. I was going to Atlanta. I was going to have a chance to play in a World Series, and I got a chance to play in a World Series. Um, then things, you know, some things happened in Atlanta at the end, and and because of some contracts, things that Chuck Knobloch kind of originally did, opted out of a a multi-year deal in the middle of a contract and you can demand a trade. I didn't actually demand a trade, uh, but there was some back and forth with the general manager at the time. Ended up facilitating a trade to San Diego Padres. I thought, wow, playing in San Diego, great weather. I'll live at the beach. Uh, It was another stop, and it was just another experience for me. I enjoyed my time in in San Diego. We stuck. We came in fourth place. You know, I played with a couple buddies on the team. And then I got the opportunity to go back to Seattle and reunite with Lou. And I was a free agent, and and I got to sign that contract. And it was the best thing I ever did is go back to Seattle. Uh, So in this game – First of all, you're at, you have no control unless you have a no trade clause and, and you make you sign that big deal with yeah. all the perks. Um, until you have those rights, you, you really can't control what happens. All yeah. you can control is what you do when you step on the field every night. And the rest is, you know, it's like awards. Mm-hmm. All I can do is play the best I can. If they give me yeah. a gold glove, they give me a gold glove. But if they don't, there's nothing I can do about it. It's out of my control. And I didn't take it personal. And, and, uh, and each experience – was cool because I have memories from each place I, I, I went to. So uh, 
I didn't really look, and I always leaned on dad's advice. He's like, remember, every time you get traded, that other team really wants you. So I looked right. at it that way instead of a slight of they don't want me. It's no, they really want me. So that's how I looked at it. Have you ever had one of those moments where you, you almost stop yourself and go, man, this isn't normal for for a lot of people? Like, I'm fortunate to be in this situation. I, I was I was thinking as you were talking because, you know, being in the family business and you're talking about staying at Pete Rose's house, I remember when – Brett's son, Jake, played baseball for me at Jeff. And, and one of the things that I remember my son said, dude, do you understand that Jake started telling stories about what it was like just, just everyday life? Yeah. All of a sudden, he calls Barry Larkin on speakerphone in front of the whole team, in front of you know a bunch of little kids. <laughs> and then Brett looks over like, Wait, what? And so, <laughs> and then, he, and he, then he, he made a call to Ken Griffey Jr., Wow. And and it was the kids thought it was the coolest thing of all time. Yeah, and and Jake wasn't like arrogant about it. He was no. just saying, "No, this is this is a family friend," and the the guys were were cool as can be to him and cool to the guys that were on the speakerphone and everything else. But I mean, you mentioned you had your own Phillies uniform as a little kid, and you'd go to the vet, and you're there in the eighty World Series, and it's just one of those things you did going to work with dad. But has there been a moment, either as a kid or as an adult, where you go? Man, this is this is unusual for most people, but this is a special moment for me. I think when I was a kid, you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't a big deal to me. You know, you don't really realize what you had until you grow up and, and you look back and go, "Wow, how cool was that?" You know, but when you're 12 and, and Dad's taking to the ballpark or you're eight, it's like, "No, I'm just going to work with Dad." Yeah. Now, don't, doesn't everybody's son go to work with their dad? I just happen to be hanging out with you know, like we've gone over before, Rose and. And Schmidt and, and yeah. Carlton and Maddox and Rose and Boa. You know, that was yeah. just, those are my buddies. I <laughs> went and shagged balls and played catch with. It's it, was like, it was no big deal to me. The cool thing was, is the group of friends I grew up with, they, they made it not a big deal, too. That's, you know, they almost it. teased me for it. Like, oh, big league guy. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you talking about? Just my dad. You know, you yeah. hang out with my dad. My dad yells at you to get out of my house yeah. all the time. <laughs> So I think when you're a kid and, you know, you, you bring up the story about Jake and, and you're right. Jake is like doesn't have a arrogant bone Not in his all. body. Yeah. So it wasn't a show off thing. It might have been a little bit of a proud thing, but it's something that was just normal for Jake. That's how we grew up. Yeah, that was his buddy. And, you know, he grew up with, uh, you know, with Moyer and Olerud and Trevor and Edgar and Trevor, uh, you know. So it's not a big deal to Jake to go hang out with Trevor Hoffman. You know, a lot of other kids go, wow, you get to hang yeah. out with Trevor Hoffman. Um, but those are the perks. Those are the cool things. Those are the things that you can look back as an adult when you have your own kids and go, wow, what a childhood I had. How lucky was I? No. And you're naive, but that's what you are when you're a kid. You're naive. You don't yep. know these things. You learn to appreciate it when you're older and, and see how fortunate you were. But when you're going through it, it's just, it's just going to work with that's that. Wild. That's you wild. Know, what I like about that story about your son is I have two boys. You have sons. Dave has sons. The one thing you want as your parent is just as a parent is just for your kids to be liked, just to be good dudes. And can you imagine, like Brett as a dad, how cool is it that your kids goofing around calling Larkin and Larkin takes the call? Ken Griffey Jr. takes the call. Like you look at that, you go, man, that's pretty cool, right? And, and it's the same for me, though. You know, I, I yeah. get a call from a Hutton Moyer or a or a yeah. Wyatt or a Quinn Hoffman. It's like, of course, I'm going to answer the phone call. Yeah, you're like, what they're, are you they're, doing? They're like my yeah extended kids yeah you know because they grew up with me I, i've seen right. them since they've been five years old yep. 
So it's not a big deal for me. Of course, they're going to get pissed if I don't answer. You know, and that's probably what Larkin and Griff are thinking. Like, man, if I don't pick this up, he's going to be pissed. Now, if I called them, they probably wouldn't pick yeah, it. Right. But, but it's Jake Boone. Jake Boone. Yeah. You, you better pick up that call. You better pick. You know, it if up. Trevor calls me, it's. It, I don't really care if Trevor. I'll, I'll call him back. But if Wyatt calls me, I better answer. I better pick it up. Yeah. All right, I'll awesome. make it easy on you for this one. About you time. Had, yeah, you've watched your dad play. You've watched your brother play. You've watched your son play. You had the opportunity to play yourself. Favorite moment in baseball? Your individual favorite moment? Oh, favorite. you can take two or three. I, I'll I tell mean, you if what, you need I, a couple. I really, yeah, I've been asked this question a lot. I don't have a wow, big time. That was the moment. I have a bunch of moments. Yeah, and they're all kind of equal. And and some are kind of silly. Some are really cool. Uh, my first, and they're really basic. They're kind of boring. What's your but memory of your dad? As my a first player? day in the big leagues. Uh, my dad is a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think I covered it earlier. Dad, uh, the ultimate professional. I didn't look to dad about how he hit, how he caught. I know nothing about catching. Um, but no particular game, no game that stands out. Oh, as a kid watching with your dad, dad? sure. Yeah. Uh, World Series 1980, one Tug McGraw struck out Willie Wilson. I remember that? I was sitting there. Uh, 1986, Angels playing. Henderson hits a home run off Donnie Moore. Oh, yes. I remember I was in a suite down the left field line. I was with a bunch of, uh, I think, my parents' friends that had a suite for that game. And I remember betting the guy next to me. When Donnie Moore strikes out Henderson right here, is Dad going to throw one fist up in the air or two? Oh, Jesus. And the next thing, he hit the home Damn. run. Damn. And that wasn't the right. end of the series, oh, no, by no, the no. way. No, no, They were up 3-1. The Angels were up 3-1 at that point. Right. It made it 3-2. They ended up losing the series. Yep. So those are two memories yeah. I remember with Dad. I remember going to the Kingdom, the All-Star game with Dad, and running around. That was cool. That's crazy, too. Um, right. 1979. I remember being on the float with Dad for the 80 World Series victory parade. Remember being in a clubhouse after the game. Wow. Um, but as a player, um, I just remember the little things. You know, the day I got called up. Yeah. And that was kind of surreal to me. Who let you know? Who made that phone call? Uh, it was my coach in Calgary, which was AAA, AAA for the Mariners. It was a pretty cool way he did it. Uh, got a base hit to right field. I think Raul Mondesi was playing right field, played for Albuquerque. I rounded the bag. Raul threw behind me. And I kind of slid back into first. And somebody came running out to run for me. Mm. And, I mean, you think you think I got an ego now? <laughs> yeah. This thing's been tamped out. <laughs> when I'm 21 years old, I'm telling you, no one's taking me out of a game. You get out of here. And he said, uh, Keith Bodie was the manager. Keith was a tough love guy with me. I yeah. was young. And, yeah. You know, it was a veteran AAA team. Most of the guys were 25, 26. I was the young 21-year-old, and he was going to teach me. And he said, Keith said, I'm running for you. I said, you're not running for me. <laughs> Keith comes out of the dugout yelling. He was a New York guy. And he yeah. said, hey, when I tell you you're out of the game, you're out of the game. He probably didn't say it that nice. I got it. <laughs> but he had a good act going. I looked at him. I said, why am I? He's like, you didn't hustle to first base. I said, I hustle every time. What are you talking about? Da, 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 da. We're yelling. I throw my helmet. I said, this is, <laughs> this is BS. Da, 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 da. I'm pissed. I walk into the dugout, and he walks up, and he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, you're going to the big leagues. And I went. 
<laughs> awesome. That was a pretty good get. That's good. You know, that, but that, I remember that day. I remember yeah. my first all-star game. Getting yeah. a call and be like, wow. who calls you on that? Uh, I think the manager just told me they got a call from, you know, whoever makes that phone yeah. call. Um, first time I won a gold glove. It's like, oh, wow. First yeah. time I went to Yankee Stadium for a World Series and had butterflies, which I'd never have when I was warming up on the on the line. Wow. And I went, it, there was something about that that said, wow. Uh, yeah. You kind of know where you are. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know I'm somewhere special. Yeah. Um, times like that. It's great, you know, man. but but nothing really that, you know, I really wish I had a really cool story. You that, just gave me five of them. What are you I know they're, about? All, they're all kind of basic stuff. It's just, no, it's you just, know, pinnacles you make. I know, yeah. as a, I know him as a dad when, and again, his son's going to get drafted again this summer. He's drafted once already at a high school. Yeah. He's going to get drafted again this summer. I was with, uh, just a name that Brett will know, I was with Connor Lund today. Mm-hmm. Connor Lund's with the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Was at Cathedral USC where, where Brett went to school. And he asked me today, he asked me, how's Jake doing? Is he coming out in the draft in, in June? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know? I said, he asked me, do you know what team? I said, I'm just going to guess Nationals or Yankees. I said, <laughs> Come on. Gonna go, gonna go the, there are 30 that teams. We don't yeah. really control that. But he, he asked about them as well. So my guess is, Brett, for you, that big baseball moment is going to be when your son gets called up to the big leagues or gets that first hit. That's going to be the it, moment. If, oh, and I couldn't imagine. You know, I look back now on my – my first at bat, my first. And, and I remember more my grandfather more than my dad and the look on his face. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen him like that before. I'm like, come on. What are you? Yeah. Soft on me? <laughs> yeah. Come on, you knew I was going to be a big leaguer. Just watch it and enjoy. You know, but he's getting emotional. And yeah. I'm going, why would he get emotional? <laughs> Just watch but it But I would enjoy. say for me, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, if, he were, if, yes. if we were lucky enough for something – yeah, like that yeah. to happen, I think it would be, you know, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, I was watching last year when Bichette got called up, and yeah. and Dante's in the stands. Dante was a great player, and I just saw when he when when Bo got his first hit, and I saw, man, that's cool, right there. Yeah, it is cool. Seeing your son, I mean, it's whatever about us. You know, we, yeah. we don't really think much of it because it's us. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we and we did this for a long time, but to see. For these guys that have had the, the, I don't know, just the the experience of watching their son go to the big leagues, it's like surreal. Yeah. It's like you don't think it's a big deal for you to be in the big leagues, but for your son to be in the big leagues, that's like yeah, unbelievable. So hopefully one day, uh, you yeah. know, I'll, I'll have to go through those emotions. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I was in Toronto and was there and saw little Guerrero, little Biggio, little Bichette. And it was just, it was great because you look at it, and they were all, I mean, that Toronto fan base, they love all their guys. But to see it and go, man, like as their dad, it's so cool to be watching for those guys. You're the best, buddy. When are you back on MLB Network? We don't know. All right. Hopefully uh, hopefully you'll see me in March. You're the we'll, best. We'll let the audience know. Thank you so much, Brett. Appreciate this. You got it. Great seeing you, buddy. God damn, I love when Brett Boone's in here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we tell this story all the time. but And now, Dave, it's funny thinking about where the road takes you. But when he got traded here to San Diego, he came in studio one night, and I was excited about that trade. I, yeah. I genuinely was. I always, I always liked Brett as a player, and man, I'm just, you know, I'm sitting on a plane the other night. And I'm coming home from Denver, and you look down, it's a text message, and it, 
uh, hey, man, I'm coming in. I'll see you Thursday at 8.30. So I send Dave a, a message from the plane. I go, hey, well, you're fucking around. I just booked Brett Boone. Dave's like, you asshole. I booked him last week. I go, hey, believe whatever you want. I did nothing to book Brett. But it's so fun because yeah. I just, Dave, you know what you don't know. Yeah. It, it Having Brett here for me is like when we had Pablo Francisco in. I don't, I'm never going to know what he knows. That's why it's just so fun to me to talk to him about all the different things and try to learn and ask him stupid fan shit about Pete Rose and everything. But going back to that night when he was in studio at KFMB, we walk in and like we said, he's just cool as shit. And uh, it was a long day for him too. It was like a 14 hour day. Yeah. And we're and the last ones on the list. Last ones on the list. And we're talking to him about, you know, Atlanta and Bobby Cox and the whole thing. And he said, yeah, you know, the problem, I don't know. It didn't work out. Sorry, I'm not the goddamn lemmer. <laughs> and David, <laughs> I, I said to him, I don't know how many times he's been in the garage with us. He was with us at Bubba's. He's been down here a couple of times. Yeah. I said, Brett, we did that show for 20 freaking years. That line for it was funny all shit. 20 years, David and I would say, well, sorry, I'm not the goddamn lemmer. <laughs> But he's just such a good dude. Yeah. And when he went on, I, I was saying to him before we started, you and I were sitting here one night. We're doing it. We always have uh, doing the show, you fucking perverts. <laughs> not, like, not like Costa prom night. By the way, we'll get into that. Um, But you look up and Brett was on MLB Network. Yeah. And I just remember, like, you and I were like, wrap it up. Let's get out, end the show, because I just want to watch this. Because he's just a friend, and he's so good, and he's so goddamn funny. I tell him all the time, likability, credibility. He brings both of those. And I'm just stoked when he comes down here. Yeah. I'm stoked when he comes down to find him incredibly funny, knowledgeable. But, God, what a, just end of the day, Dave, what a, just a fucking good dude. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously, we're proud to call him a friend. But as you know, we talk about... You know, his son, Jake, my son, Jake, they're, yeah. they're teammates. And, and my son recruited his son to come over and, and join our team. Yeah. And we became friends. And obviously, you know, Brett and Trevor, their neighbors and their longtime friends. And then Trevor's youngest son and, and my son, they, they all hung out. And yeah. it was cool. And then when, when Wyatt left to go to college and, and uh, Jake plays shortstop for Princeton left, and Jake was still he, he was battling back, but still at the same time he was. They were all we we're all coaching the Bears together. Mm -hmm. And then Brett would say, "Dude, my Jake's gone. I, you know, yeah. hey, what are you doing? Why don't you just come hang out with me for three days? Get get yep. get away from the house, get away from the neighborhood, and and hey, I'll take care of you." And um, they became super close. And then I would you know talk to my son and say, "What did you do with Brett today?" He goes, well, went out, Brett got me a manicure. My favorite picture. <laughs> then we went out and hung out at Trevor Hoffman's house for a couple hours. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good childhood memories for uh, for my kid to go, shit, I miss my friend because he's away at college. But it, his dad is a former major leaguer. I'm not dumb. This yeah. is pretty cool. This is a good day. I don't uh, I don't bring it up on this show out of respect for, for Brett, for Jake, and for you. Uh, Dave, just sitting here when Jake was going through his battles – and loving that kid and knowing what Brett did. And Brett didn't do it for any other reason that it was just the right thing to do. And it would be one thing. It's just so incredible for anybody to take in another person's 
son yeah. that may just need a little fresh air and a little different voice. But he didn't just take him in and say, hey, man, help yourself to the refrigerator, whatever. He created memories with him. Yeah. He created memories. And we would come here or wherever Dave and I would be. And you'd say, hey, man, how's Jake doing? You go, look at this asshole. And it'd be a picture of him and Brett <laughs> getting manicures. You're like, what the fuck are these two idiots doing? And it was so great because you knew he was okay. Yeah. You knew he wasn't out with, with bad influences. He was with a great guy. <laughs> and you're like, well, and Brett's got the, the shades on. It's the funniest goddamn picture. I've seen it a thousand times. I laugh every time. But you just look at Jake and you go, man, he's relaxed yeah. and he's happy. Big smile. And on that day, he was winning, man. Yeah. And he was winning because just when just when a little change of pace yeah. was needed, uh, Brett Boone stepped up. Yeah, that's why he's well, uh, that's why his family. Does. One of the funniest times, man, when uh, when Brett had him and they did this a couple of times. Brett calls me, and goes, "Hey, man, you didn't tell me your kid doesn't drive." I go, "Well, he drives." <laughs> He didn't have his license, but he drives. He, he has his permit. And I go, he didn't get it when he was 16. He decided to wait a couple years. Well, why don't you tell me before I gave him the keys to my car and he drove right through the front hedges of the house? Oh, no. Yeah. Brand new car, like an $80,000 oh, car, no. just right through the freaking bushes. I show up. Big landscapers out there fixing the front what of the, the house. fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? so fast. Fuck. What'd you give me the keys for? <laughs> I had not heard that. Oh, that's fantastic. Holy shit. What a, yeah. Oh my gosh. But uh that was really fun, man. That was really, really fun. And uh and he's so good, man. He's just so good on MLB network. And yeah. Let me let me let me ask you this. Yes. Within the next five years, when somebody hires him to be a manager in baseball. Do you and I get free tickets or are we I think he makes us buy tickets. No, he'll get us free tickets. He'll get us in? Yeah, he is one of these Does Ben Higgins get free tickets oh, or does fuck. he have to buy? He better have to buy. He better fucking he better have, to buy. have to buy. He better have to buy. Brett has one of these cards, which which I think is yeah. cool as shit that he has. If you spend a certain amount of time in the big leagues, you go to any game for free. Now, how many seats do you get? One? Well, it's funny you say that. I would guess one or two, but when we were in Arizona once with uh with my Bears team, and Brett wasn't even with us. He just made a yeah. phone call and called and got like 30 tickets, and they were right behind the Padres' dugout. They are the visiting team. God and he damn, just, made, just made a call and said, hey, guess what? I got some friends in town. And he hooked up to everybody. You know what? Before he left, I should have had him call the Coyotes yeah. instead of having JoJo do <laughs> it. JoJo. Shit. Don't call JoJo. <laughs> do not. <laughs> I got tickets for me. JoJo has Band-Aids. Like <laughs> cotton swabs. <laughs> Connor, Nick, you need cotton swabs. You need icy hot. You call JoJo. Oh, you want to see the Coyotes play with 400 other people? Can't help you. <laughs> uh, Brett probably get him. God damn, if I had a Brett call the Coyotes. Yeah, you'd be in. One of them singing O Canada and the other guy's doing the puck drop. <laughs> Shit. Why did I give that responsibility to JoJo? <laughs> nope. And JoJo, 
JoJo walked around like the guy in the brown starter jacket that sold the <laughs> afternoon paper with the hands up. Can't help. I'm out of ticket. <laughs> Shit. Live and learn. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, Connor and Nick. I'll be better next time. Before we get to how old are they and how much are they worth, I want to mention Dan Williams. Dan's the guy that wants to get you out of the rental market, wants to get in your own house. It sounds good. Of course, it is good. Who wouldn't want to own their own house? Guess what? Dan Williams can help talk to you and make it happen. You're on the road to stop paying money every month. It just goes right out the window and you get nothing for it. You got to call Dan Williams. His number is 858-688-6813, 858-688-6813. It's also Daniel at SanDiegoLending.us. But again, it's the smartest call you can make. Get your finances in order for 2020. It all starts with a phone call to Dan Williams. I'm going to have to give his number. To my friend Pat at work, who's the funniest dude I know, we uh, both have a love for music. And I told Pat today, I go, you know what Dan told me? He goes, the way to financial freedom is delete all these goddamn emails that say, here's your pre-sale code. And Pat goes, well, I wish I'd listened to that. I just got more tickets. I said, who are you seeing? Rage Against the Machine. I go, well, God dang, that's a big show. Where are they playing? Oakland. I go, shit, that's plane tickets, too. <laughs> ah, I could talk them out of it. That's a hell of a show. You won't see me there. But, uh, man, there is. Dan wrote a book, and I, I we're joking about that. Borrow smart, repay smart. And as I have done different things over the last couple of months, man, I was having a blast at Christmas because I said, I'll buy January 15th, I'll be right back at level. And then the fucking Stones come on tour. And that asshole Tim McGraw. <laughs> goddamn Pearl Jam. Now these two asshole kids of mine need braces. Shit. <laughs> I'll buy my coworkers a coyote ticket. <laughs> God dang. But when you look at Borrow Smart, Repay Smart, it is so important. But look. For me, the goal isn't just to get zeroed out on your Best Buy card or your Capital One card. The The goal is to get back into a house, yes. and you have to do that. And one of the ways I'm doing that is by following the rules that Dan put in place. I'm maintaining that pretty goddamn incredible credit score. Thank you, ladies. Wink, wink. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we'll be ready to go to buy a house. 858-688-6813. After you take care of things with Dan, you're going to call Brian Curry. Brian Curry's your guy for real estate all throughout San Diego. He's the guy with the helicopters. Jeff will let you know. Look, I, people stopped me today and said, hey, look, I heard the show from yesterday. You said yeah. that you had a question about a certain house that almost seemed impossible, and you called Brian Curry within hours. He had 26 potential houses for you. Is that true? That is a 100% yeah, true. we don't tell lies here. Yeah, I told you. Brian doesn't say what neighborhood do you want to live in, yeah. what street do you want to live on. And guess right. what? He starts sending you houses. The guy is fantastic. He knows what's going on in the rental in the real estate market. Again, 619-251-1588. 619-251-1588. Yeah, his name's Brian Curry. His name's not Jim Crane. Don't question our <laughs> credibility. Please. Sickens me. Sickens you. Don't. Please. Brian Curry legit uh i think dave there is something to be said about living in a really cool neighborhood and and you have to find it because yeah little things matter i, I was just with uh, a real good friend of ours 
uh, in Denver, Julie Brownman. And just so excited. She's been in the same place. I think she told me it's close to like 15 years wow. she's been back there. And uh, just an incredible house, man. And you go and you check it out. You go, wow, this is home. That's how you do it. And and just comfortable and nice. And you walk around and it feels like a home. And that's what every one of us wants, not only for ourselves, but for our kids, uh, people coming over to visit. You just want to feel good when you walk through that door. And nobody can help you do that faster than Brian Curry. Absolutely. After you take care of that house, guess what? If it doesn't have that perfect pool, guess who will build it for you? It's Alan Taylor, Taylor made Pools, more than 20 years in San Diego, making perfect pools for his customers. Does a great job. You don't need to try and imagine what that pool would look like. All you have to do is make sure you call Alan. He'll take you through the 3D Designs Tour. Absolutely incredible. Takes all the guesswork out of everything. Saltwater technology, the waterfalls, grotto slides. Turn your backyard into a staycation with barbecues and fire pits. Alan Taylor's your guy. 619-449-4452. 619-449-4452. I like that idea of the fire pit. Yeah. Because that's kind of cool. I've already told you I'm going to put Labatt's, <laughs> ice cold Labatt's on tap right there. And then guess what's going to happen? This is what we're going to do every night. I've already talked about Vera coming over, but that's not going to happen. Okay. This is going to be, every night it's going to be Dar Robinson night at my backyard pool party. You know what we're going to do, Dave? Yeah. We're going to start pouring that ice cola bats. You and I are each going to have about six of them. Then we're going to fire up that fire pit. Okay. Yes. You and I are going to put on the Dar Robinson stuntman suit. We're falling in the fire pit. And we're going to do that stuntman on fire walk. And guess what? We'll just fall in the pool. Then everybody will laugh and hold their ribs. We'll jump out. Hey, we're fine. We're good. We had this special fireproof foam on. Please don't do this at home. Dave and I have trained ourselves via YouTube videos how to do it. And with our sincere thanks to Alan Taylor, who built this beautiful pool, we were able to land. Yeah, we have fourth degree burns on our left calf because we didn't put the foam gel down there. But please don't blame Taylor made pools. Blame us for one too many Labats. That sounds to me like a hell of a Tuesday night. It, it is a hell of a Tuesday night. Just yeah. on a Tuesday. Yeah, just on a Tuesday. And then I'll tell you what, you shut your mouth over there. I'll tell you when we're done. Okay. I'll tell you what, after that, that crazy little alley cat Vera is going to feel bad. And any questions she needs answered, we'll head back to the behind the grotto. We'll settle any scores we need done. <laughs> Taylor made pools. Now it's your turn. All right. I want to mention Kyle Fluger for that perfect website if your business needs help. But guess what? This needs a little refreshing. Kyle Fluger is the guy for your perfect website. 619-500-6621. 619-500-6621. You can check out DaveAndJeffShow.com. Also, Jake'sProjects.org. I came to a sad realization yeah. tonight. No matter what I do, MILFs with tan lines, <laughs> MILFs without kids. Well, that's almost impossible on that one. Nothing will impact me more than 30-second fights on social media. <laughs> They're the greatest. Yes. Why don't you come up with 31secondfights.com? Maybe. Maybe. God, I watched one. Okay, I got to think of the two. that. And you know what? God damn it, Joe. <laughs> Joe, you know who you are. You keep sending these to me, and I watch every one of them. <laughs> the first one that I saw tonight was a girl who was about 15 and she just beat the shit out of a guy 
who uh, sexually disrespected her. Now, I don't know what that kid did. Man, this girl just beat the living hell out of this kid. He got smoked. And then there was another one that went for about three and a half minutes. And this, oh, I know what it was. Oh, this was the other one they posted tonight. It was two brothers that beat the living shit out of their stepdad when they found out the stepdad had been physically abusing their mother. Wow. And these two brothers, they look like the Midnight Express <laughs> or Handsome Jimmy and Luscious Johnny Valiant <laughs> stars of Memphis Championship Wrestling when young Dave Palais was nine years old cheering for superstar Bill Dundee. The goddamn, <laughs> that was probably your guy. That was good. Were you a Bill Dundee No, I fed? definitely was not, but that was good. You know who he was. That was a good poll. Yeah. With the mullet? Sure do. These two guys just beat, and the, the stepdad, like, stop hitting me. And they're like, fuck you. He's all bleeding. He's, oh, he leaking. He leaking. My favorite thing. I can watch World Star videos all day. My God, I can't take it. Weave's getting pulled out. She leaking. Yeah, maybe we'll start SheLeaking.com. I like it. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> Although I don't like to see girls bleeding. So we'll okay. just, well, sorry, Fluke, sorry. Uh, you're just sitting around strumming your guitar all day, singing songs. We're going to, Kyle and I are going to start uh, HeLeakin.com. I like it. All right, that's our next one. <laughs> I like it. All right, we got to get out of here. So I'm going to run these. Okay, what time by. is it? Oh, fuck, it's 10.33. Is it really? Yeah. I'm fucked. All right, let's go. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking right now, okay, too. It's like, go. this is going to take a while. All right, here we go. I got a few of these, two from today and uh, three from yesterday. Because, or we three from tom- yesterday. Three from tomorrow. Sorry, okay, we'll go from tomorrow. It's almost tomorrow. All right, so we're going to start off with Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain today would have been 52. Close, 53. 53, shit. Uh, hmm. How much is he worth today? How, how old was he when he died? Do you remember? Remember? Oh shit! God dang, man, young, twenty five, twenty six. I mean, it's been a while. Twenty seven. He was. God dang! Wow. Um, how much is he worth today? I might have fucked that up. He might be fifty. It might be fifty four. All right, go ahead. Uh, what year was he born? I don't have it. I got the year he damn died. Hold on one second. Go ahead. Keep talking. What are you going to say about Kurt Cobain? I'm going to say 75 million. Was Kurt Cobain one of those? 50 million. 50 million. Was Kurt Cobain one of those guys you remember where you were? When yeah, it was at KSDO. That's funny. I was at 91X yeah. or 690 at the time. Yep. On the board. And I'll give credit. Our our news guy, Ken Yearwood, who I would think was quite a bit older than me, at that time was really impacted, like really like knew the impact of Nirvana. It wasn't like that prick, Dr. Michael Dean, the hypnotist who said, when you wake up, you will be rock star Van Halen. (laughs) That's the best. You will be rock star Van Halen. Now you're what knew his shit. Uh, Yeah. It was at KSDO 50, 50 Murphy Canyon road. Remember it. uh, Kurt Cobain, 53. Okay. Not 54. Cindy Crawford. Oh, boy. That's a lot of perfection right there, huh? I think she's good in the sack band. In the sack yes, band. 100%. Okay. All right, all right, all right. 56 years old. She is 54. God, I'm a dick. Yeah, 54. 
54. Oh, Jesus. Hang on. She's just amazing. And cool as shit, too. Always cool in interviews. She's still married. She's been married for 22 years. She's to that dude who owns... Uh, Jerry's night- Deli, right? Am I right on that? Oh, we might. He owns nightclubs in L.A. Okay. Randy Gerber. Yeah. She was but- married to Richard Gere, which is weird. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. I got a joke. It's <laughs> <laughs> already funny. I already know. What I think, I'm thinking what everyone else is thinking. Right? Why can't yes. gerbils drive? Fuck. Why? I'll tell you the punchline afterwards. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, something like, yeah, I'm not saying that. That's terrible. <laughs> then why would you throw the joke out and not get the punchline? Because <laughs> I can't. Oh, I'm not saying it. You wrecked him. Almost killed him. Oh, boy. Um, How much is she worth? Boy, I think, uh, I think I'm going to go low on this. And I think, I'm going to say $40 million. More. How much? $100 million. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. She, nothing wrong there. Okay, boy. what's crazier, that she was married to Richard Gere or that Julia Roberts was married to Lyle Lovett? Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Her husband, by the way, Randy Gerber's worth $300 million. Yeah, that makes sense. Jeez, Louise. All right. Jeez. All right, we've got okay. three more here. It's February 21st. We're going to okay. go with... Uh, Blanket Jackson. Blanket Jackson. <coughs> Fuck, if you were at uh is that the that's the son, right? Yes, that's Michael Jackson's son. Uh 19? 17. Damn. 17. How much is he worth? 200 million? 100 million. All right. All right, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh <laughs> How about that little... Does she have kids? I'm sure she does. I'll look it up. Go ahead. 47. 40. What the hell is with me? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Might have had a brain tumor right there. Um, 40. How about, is that right? You sure on that? Yeah. that's. I'm looking at it right now. Let's say... Hold on. She will be 41. She was born in 1979. God damn. I'm still way off on that. Uh... My little pervs like Phil Gaunt probably knew that. Yeah, she, 41! <laughs> she loved to go to Shakey's. Calm down. You made me choke. She, <laughs> um, she, she's married. She got married in 2013, by the way. Uh, 18 million? She's oh. got to be better than that. 30 Dude, million. Uh, no, you're exactly right. 18 million. Wow. Yeah. I looked at you like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> I just threw that out. That's crazy. Kelsey Grammer, last one of the night. Oh, shit. I love Frazier. Uh, 64. Oh, you almost had it right on the money. 60 million. No, I say he's 64 oh, years yeah. old. He's exactly 64 years old. And how much is he worth for the God. two showcases? Because I flipped over the card. Uh, let's say 52 million. Oh, you blew it, you asshole. <laughs> God, you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> is he really worth 64 million? Yeah. How, no, no, he's worth 60 million. He's 64 uh, years old. God damn. What do you think about his ex-wife? The one from the housewives. Good in the sack? She's a playboy chick. I bet you she's horrible in the sack. Yeah. Horrible in the sack. Remember, she was in Howard Stern's movie. Was she? Yeah. She was the girl in the yellow bikini. Oh, wow. Yeah. How come that movie never... I mean, you never see that movie on no, Netflix you don't see or parts. anywhere, right? No. Nah, it's great, great on movie. There? It's a, no, was he on Stern God. this week? He's always great. 
amazing. Uh, our thanks to Brett Boone. You can follow us on social media. We'll probably mute you, but <laughs> go ahead, take a shot. Feel good about yourself. At Dave Palais, at Jeff Dodseth. And then uh, back on to our normal schedule, right, Dave? Yes. We'll, we'll go on see Sunday you. night. We'll see you back here Sunday night. Good deal. 